The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear a starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. There's something about the human heart. Pardon me. There's something about the human heart that loves deception. Usually because deception is tied to something we want. And so we can make every justification. We can convince ourselves of anything if it's for what we want. I've been considering this question of deception. None of us go out and say, please, please, please deceive me. No, doesn't work that way. Rather, we go out and see something or someone 
that we want. Or we hear a, a teaching that we really want because it somehow fits the keyhole of our heart. The keyhole of our heart is usually filled by what we want. And when we finally settle on what we want, it turns a lock in our heart. And now we're free to go with what we want. The sad truth is, our experience cannot determine what the truth is. Truth is not subjective. It's not based on what I think or what I feel. Truth is eternal. What is true today will be true also tomorrow. The eternal truth, the foundation truth. But if I want something else, then I'll find a way to twist and turn until I can finally get that key of what I want into my heart lock. And I can set myself free to go after what I want. I can convince myself, and I have in the past, much to my sorrow, I love that new car. I want that new car. Until finally I convinced myself that I needed that new car. And when I needed it, that justified buying it. I know people today who are paying six hundred, eight hundred, sixteen hundred dollars a month in car payments for six years or seven years. Why? Not because they needed it. They wanted it, and they found justification for their purchasing and going in debt. Now, in my case, it was an Acura two-door coupe when they first came out, and I wanted that red with gray leather. I wanted that beautiful coupe. So I finally justified it in my eyes, convinced myself that I needed it, and entered into a a loan, a foolish loan. And God used it as a whip on my back for the next years to teach me never again to go in debt for a car, to wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. Now this issue of deception becomes particularly grievous when we establish what we believe based on our experience. When we look at how we live out our life as a Christian, and we adjust our theology. We adjust the teaching of Scripture to support the way we choose to live. Men have been doing this. Women have been doing this for many years. Justifying behavior 
based on what they believe they want. And as they try to establish what they want, they go after everything their heart desires. I want to go to the scriptures and talk with you about deception. Jesus warned us, do not be deceived. False prophets will come. And nowhere is that more true than in the area of Christian experience or the lack thereof of Christian experience. I know people who do not believe in Jesus. They are not Christians. And they say it's because they have thought it through and they recognize themselves as the arbiters of truth. They can tell right from wrong. No, in reality, they can't. And they're walking in deception. I have utterly determined in my heart that I do not want to walk in any deception. I want to walk in the truth. And the truth is not, first of all, an intellectual framework. It is not a worldview. The truth is a person. His name is Jesus. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the creator of all things. He holds authority. He holds in his hand all things. So if I want to know the truth, I must know Jesus Christ. So let's look very specifically at how this deception deal works. Now I've read many theologians, and many commentaries on the book of Romans. Chapter 6 was given to me very specifically by the Lord, and I was told to preach Romans 6 to the church today, and that's what I've been doing. But when I go beyond chapter 6, things begin to be filled in, and the deception is utterly destroyed. But it's chapter 7 of the book of Romans that has become one of the greatest points of deception in the modern church. The interpretation that we have brought to it as a modern church is apostate. It is is wrong. It is sin. Now, if we recognize that there are no chapter divisions in the writing of the book of Romans, no sentence structure as we have it in our Bibles today. For the Greek, the sentence can run on for a full page. Also recognizing that there are no verses in the scriptures as they were written. Those were added many years later. So we can't separate Romans 6 From Romans 7, they flow together. Now, let me lay down a very simple biblical hermeneutical principle. 
And that principle is context, context, context. What do I mean? I mean, don't take a chapter out of the scriptures and say, this is what it means without looking at the chapter before, the chapter after, and the whole book, and then at the scriptures as a whole. You can make the scriptures say just about anything you want to make them say if you take things out of context and you don't understand where they fit in the flow of divine revelation. Now, how do you know where it fits? You read the entire amount. You don't just pull it out. You read carefully the context to understand what's being said. So we come to chapter 6. Let me begin reading with verse 20. That will give us a heads up for where we need to go in chapter 7. For when you used to be servants of sin, you used to be free with reference to righteousness. What fruit thereof were you having then on account of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin, and having been made servants for God, you have your fruit in holiness. And the end, life eternal. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the deception trick that the devil plays right here at the very beginning is is the modern church says, yes, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus died for me, but he gave me the gift of grace, and so I can continue sinning as I take advantage of that gift of grace. Because when God looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. Well, that's a total misinterpretation of this scripture. And if we just go back to verse 20, which I just read, let me read it in context. For when you used to be, that is past tense, you used to be under the rule of sin. You used to be free with reference to righteousness. In other words, you had no righteousness. You were walking in the addictions, you were walking in the bitterness, you were walking in the degrading of sin to your shame. And then he says, what fruit, therefore, were you having then on account of which you are now ashamed? Now, are you telling me that the grace of Jesus will cover you and you will no longer be ashamed of your fornication or your lust? You'll no longer be ashamed of your bitter, angry words. You'll no longer be ashamed of how you are treating Jesus Christ. It says, for the end of those things is death. The end of sin is death. There is no exception for this. One sin in the Garden of Eden, through the whole of the human race, into death, But now, having been freed from sin, and having been made servants for God, 
You have your fruit in holiness in the end life eternal. In other words, read it for what it says. It The words are absolutely plain. They are simple words. They are not complicated. You have your fruit. That is, what flows out of your life is now holiness and life eternal. What is holiness? Holiness is being set apart from the wickedness, from the world, from the flesh, from the devil. It's being set apart unto Jesus. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we're going to go a lot further with that as we move into the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. Or are you ignorant, brothers? For I'm speaking of men that know the law, that the law lords it over the man for so long a time as he lives. Now the married woman has been bound by law to the living husband, but if the husband may die, she has been released from the law of the husband. So then the husband, being alive, she will be called an adulteress if she may become married to a different husband. But if the husband may die, she is free from the law. She is not an adulteress, having become married to a different husband. Therefore, my brethren, you were also put to death to the law by means of the body of Christ. So, Paul is saying that the body of Christ did not cover over your sins. He's saying, by means of the law, by the body of Christ, you were put to death. You died. Now, the deception is, oh, I didn't die. I'm alive. I'm struggling. I just can't, I can't gain the victory over my sin. Well, there's a very simple reason why you can't gain the victory over your sin. Whether that sin be alcoholism, drugs, lust, bitterness, anger, hardness of heart, cheating, lying, stealing. Whatever the sin is, gross thoughts in your mind, horrible dreams at night, there's a reason why you can't overcome these things. Because you have not yet died. You have to die. What do you have to die to? You have to die to what you want. You have to die to what you want. I want this specific outcome in this situation. And you're going through the fire. You're going through the flames because of the pain and the anguish of what you're facing because you don't want it to happen. You want peace? Die to what you want. Die to what you want. Die to what you want. You have to give up 
what you want other than wanting the person of Jesus Christ. This morning I awakened early. It was still dark. It was raining. I said, I'm just going to lay here in bed for a few minutes. The house was cold. I said, I'm just going to rest here a little bit. And that gave me opportunity to turn my mind to Jesus before I got out of bed. And I began to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you. I want you, Jesus. I want my life to bring to you glory and honor. I want to please you, Jesus. And I plead with you, Lord, break every deception in my heart. Now, how do I find where the deceptions are? Well, you don't have to look any further than what you want. Look at the outcome you want. And you'll likely find a deception buried in that wanting an area where you do not want to put this fully into the hands of Jesus and trust him for what he's doing and rejoice in him for what he is doing. I began to pray as I lay in bed, Jesus, I rejoice in you, Jesus. I praise and honor and glorify your name, Jesus. You are all I want. Now, I could... I could come up with a long list of things that I want in the world. I don't like living where I'm living in a townhouse in the midst of thousands of people. But Jesus put me here. It was very clear. He he chose this house. There were many people trying to get this house before me. And the landlord gave it to me at a price, but he gave it to me. But you know what? I wanted to live in the country. I wanted to be able to feed the birds. I love the bluebirds and the cardinals and the blue jays, the doves. But especially I miss the bluebirds. I miss the deer coming out at night in my backyard. I miss the the funny squirrels and their antics. I miss the bear that come wandering out of the woods. I wanted all of that. Is it wrong to want that? No, I don't think so. Is it wrong to go after that when Jesus did not open that for me? Yes. Remember, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is made up of good and evil. I have other things that I want. But first, I want Jesus. And then I have to give all of those things to him and say, Jesus, I want only what you want. I will receive from your hand only that which you give to me. And I want righteousness and holiness. And so I'm asking Jesus, will you give me righteousness and holiness? 
Now listen. For when we used to be, that is past tense, we used to be in the flesh, that is in the old Adam nature. I'm not in the old Adam nature anymore. I don't function in the old Adam nature anymore. It is gone. I don't operate in it. Now, am I still tempted? Yes. I was sorely tempted yesterday. I won't tell you what it was. It's private, but I was sorely tempted. And you know what I did? I immediately went to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, your promise is that you will always make a way of escape, that no sin will come to us but what you have given us, a way of escape. So, Lord, I renounce this wanting of my heart for that which you would not want me to have, and I give it to you. And as soon as I did that, All desire for that was removed from my heart. Satan can come with all kinds of things and say, this is what you must have. Satan comes and says, you have to have that new car. You have to have this person in your life. You have to have this wife. You have to have this husband. You have to have, you have to have, you have to have. No, I don't have to have. I want what Jesus wants me to have. And that's all I want. Now, does he want me to have that car, that house? Does he want me to have whatever it is? If he does, he'll show me. And he'll bring it to me. I want what he wants. I have settled forever in my mind and in my heart. I want Jesus. I want you. What he wants, I want him to be the ruler, the sovereign, the lover of my heart. Notice, for when we used to walk in the flesh, the passions of our sins through the law used to be at work in our members with the result that we bore fruit to death. But now we were delivered from the law having died to that which we used to be bound by, with reference to us to serve God in newness of spirit and not in the old way of the letter. That word newness in the Greek literally means totally different, completely new, something that's never been in your life before. He makes you into a new creature. This is a This is a sovereign work of God that he is willing and wants to do in your heart and in your life. But will you finally humble your heart before him and say, Jesus, I need you. I give up my pride. I give up my wants. I give up my demands. I give up my dreams and my... I give up my bucket list, Jesus. I give up my ambitions. I want what you want, Jesus. I want to be of service to you and your kingdom. I want to love other people and serve other people. I want to belong to you, Jesus Christ, and I will belong only to you 
and I will not belong to the darkness. Now, this is a very important part. Remember I said context. This is what Paul is saying. Now he turns. He says, what then will we say? The law is sin? No, certainly not. But I did not know sin except through the law, for I had not known lust except the law was saying, you shall not lust. But sin, having taken opportunity through the commandment, wrought in me every conceivable lust. Now, apart from the law, sin is dead. In other words, Paul is saying, look, what do you want? The law comes and it uncovers us. And if we then say, okay, I want to be, I don't want to be uncovered. I'm going to claim that I am covered by the blood of Jesus and now I'm okay to continue in my old way. No, he just said, the old is gone and now you serve God in a way you've never served him before in newness of life. Verse 9, this is Romans 7, 9. And I once used to live apart from the law, but the commandment having come, sin revived and I died. And the commandment meant for life, this was found by me to be unto death. For sin having received occasion through the commandment completely deceived me and through it put me to death. So then, the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and just, and good. Then good has become death to me? Certainly not. But sin became death to me in order that it may be revealed as sin. Through the good that is in the law, working death in me, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. If you look at the law, it will put you to death. Moses, with the law, will bludgeon you to death. Will beat you until you die. And you can try as hard as you can try to be righteous. You can't do it. I know, I tried for years. And I was always falling and repenting and falling and repenting, back and forth, back and forth. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, having been sold under sin. Now he's speaking here in the present tense. Let's not make any mistake. The analytic present, or the historical present, is a literary device that is used in the scripture in a number of different passages. Matthew uses it in his gospel. It's used in other places as well. Many are deceived at this point because they want to say, look, the apostle Paul was a sinner like I am. The gospel did not change him. 
He said, I am carnal, having been sold under sin. For what I work out, I do not understand. For what I do not will, this I practice. But what I hate, this I do. But if what I do not will, this is what I do. I agree that the law is right. But now it is no longer I that work out, work it out, but sin dwelling in me. For I know that in me, that is in my unregenerate nature, nothing good dwells. Now, please don't miss this. The context of this passage of Scripture in Romans 7 is in the context of sin, the wages of, are death. If you sin, you walk in death. If you are willing to die, be crucified with Christ, Romans 6, then you enter into a new kind of life. Now, please hear me very plainly. I don't say this to in any manner condemn any man. But I need to say it very frankly to you. If in your life you find yourself sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting, it's because you have never died and you've never been born from above. I know many, many Christians who are still pagans at heart. They're caught in the law. They're caught in sin. They're caught in darkness because they've never been willing to give up what they want and enter into Jesus. As long as you want something more than Jesus, you are walking in sin. If a particular outcome to a problem is more important to you than Jesus, then you are walking in sin. For to will is present with me, but to work out what is right, I find not. For I do not the good that I wish, but the evil that I wish not, this I practice. But if what I wish not, this I do, I am no longer working it out, but the sin dwelling in me. Now listen. If this is your experience then sin is dwelling in you and you are not saved. You are lost. You are not a part of the kingdom of God. You are part of the kingdom of darkness. You cannot be in the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. It means we have to take very seriously the reality that I cannot live in the world going after what I want and still have Jesus Christ, unless it is Jesus that I want. Do you get this? Verse 21, Really, I find the law reveals to me the one wishing to do right, that the evil is present with me. 
So Paul is saying, before I became a Christian, this is analytic, analytic present in the Greek. It is the historical present. He's saying, before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I did everything as perfectly as I could. But he recognized it was not enough. And he was still walking in rebellion before a holy and righteous God. He was recognizing that in his secret life, he was still unclean. In his mind, he was unclean. He loved righteousness. He loved the law of God. He loved the religion. He loved walking as a Jew. But he recognized he was condemned by the law and was hell-bound. I see a different law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and capturing me by the law of sin being in my members. A distressed man I am. If you listen very carefully to this broadcast, you are going to become increasingly distressed over the division between what you want and how you live. And Jesus will begin to point out to you by the Spirit those areas in your life where you are compromised. You are going after the recognition of the world. You are going after the applause of the world. You are going after what you want to establish yourself as being somebody. You are spending your time and your money and your energy trying to accomplish something that will say I'm somebody. Whether it's in sports, whether it's in crafts and hobbies, whether it's in your work, you recognize that you are not a holy person. See, that awareness has not struck the apostate church. It will. Remember what Jesus said in Romans, I'm sorry, in Revelation. I'll I'll turn quickly and just read it, even though you know it well. But I need to read it to you. This is the message to the church at Laodicea. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. That means you have a divided heart. You want and you want. You want the world and you want Jesus. You're divided. The cold water and the hot water are both flowing. This morning I had a wonderful bath. The cold water and the hot water flowed to give me just a comfortable bath. Many of you just want a comfortable life. And so you use the hot water and the cold water and you make yourself a wonderful bath. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, 
neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about to vomit you. You make me sick. He's saying that to the church today, to the apostate church. Because you say, I am rich. I have this beautiful building. I have this wonderful pastor who's so well educated. I have these wonderful programs that I enjoy. I, I love their prayer meetings. I love their, their concerts. I love my pastor's passion and jokes and I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the condition of the modern American church. To T. The more you come, the more you listen to this broadcast, the more you search the scriptures, the more you look at the law of God, the more uncomfortable you will become in this wretched condition of being miserable, poor, and blind. It will become obvious to you. Now, we would rather be deceived and be comfortable. That's the church that he says, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to make Jesus sick. I want him to be pleased with my life. He says, I'm counseling you, buy from me gold, having been refined by fire. What is that gold? It's it's faith. It's standing. It's saying, I believe the word of Jesus. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to go through the fire. I'm going to walk through the fire. Every one of you is going to have to walk through that fire where you give up what you want and you cling to Jesus, even if it costs you money, even if it costs you your life. You will go through the fire. White garments that you may clothe yourself. Revelation says those white garments are the righteous actions of the saints. Don't kid yourself that you can walk in sin and think that it is covered by the blood of Jesus and he doesn't see it. That's a total deception and lie from the pit of hell. Clothe yourself. Shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to rub on your eyes that you may see. All those whom I may love, I convict and instruct. So you must be zealous. That is, you must give everything you have to repent. Now come back with me to Romans, the seventh chapter. This is the most powerful passage in Romans 7 for me. A distressed man I am. Who will deliver me out from this body of death? 
You see, finally, we come to a place where we recognize that what we're doing is bringing death to us. Our constant determination to have what we must have brings death to our family, to our husband, to our wife, to our friends. The determination that I must have what I must have, that I will believe what I believe, and I am right and you are wrong, not based on what Jesus has said, but based on what you think and what your experience is. You say to me, but pastor, my experience is that I can't overcome my sin and live without sin. And everybody knows you can't live without sinning. Wrong. The Apostle Paul didn't know that. The Apostle John didn't know that. Jesus didn't know that. Are you hearing me? Do not base what you believe and what you want on what your experience is. Base it on the word of God. Base it on Jesus. Because Paul now says, Who will deliver me out from the body of this death? Any person walking in sin is walking in death. That's what the seventh chapter of Romans says. Now I know. I've read the commentators. I've read the books. Theologian after theologian will come and say, look, this is a description of Paul as a Christian. Liar, liar, liar. You are wrong. You, there is no reasonable person who would read this passage in context and conclude that Paul is saying this is his present experience. And he says, Who will deliver me out from this body of death? And explosively he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your deliverance is in Jesus. Choosing to not believe your own gospel. Choosing not to believe the gospel of the flesh to not believe the gospel of the apostate church across denominational lines. Don't believe them. Your salvation is not believed. Your salvation is not based on what the Anglicans say or the Presbyterians say. Your salvation is not based on what the Catholic Church says. Your salvation is not based on what the assemblies of God teaches. Your salvation is based on what the scriptures teach, on what Jesus says. When you go before the tribunal of God, you're not going to have the president of the assemblies of God or the Anglican bishop or the the Catholic priest, the Pope. You're not going to have them sitting on the judgment bar. You're going to have one person. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. 
Jesus is the final judge. All judgment has been placed in the hands of Jesus Christ. So he says, Who will deliver me out from this body of death? Romans 7, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself indeed with the mind serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. That is his condition before he is delivered by Jesus from that law of flesh, that law of sin. And next week we're going to dive into the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans, the sixth chapter, tells us what we must do in order to be saved. Romans, the seventh chapter, teaches us do not be deceived by sin. Romans 8 teaches us the normal Christian life. This is how we walk. Romans chapter 8 is a description of the mature Christian and how he walks day by day with Jesus. Well, we're almost out of time. Let me pray with you. Lord, I've spoken your word as honestly and as straightforwardly as I can. I'm asking now that it would bring forth a crop of righteousness and holiness in the lives of my brothers and sisters. I pray that you will not allow any person listening to this broadcast to throw it away and turn and believe a lie, that you would pierce every lie, that we would give up what we want in our flesh, and we would receive you, Jesus, the Lord and Savior of our hearts. Lord, I want you. I want you, Jesus. You are my Lord and my Savior. And I praise you and worship you. Lord, please unveil our eyes that we could clearly see. Break every lying deception of the devil. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Tomorrow will be a day of prayer. Would you pray? Would you call and pray live on air on 780 AM across the DC area and also by YouTube on nationalprayerchapel.com? I'll give you the phone number first thing tomorrow morning as we come together. Would you call and pray tomorrow? Now, I I want to tell you thank you again. The month of January is covered. I have received the pledges that were made, and the cost is totally covered. And now we work on the month of February, and I thank those of you who are already stepping forward to give those $10 or those $20 or that $100 or $1,000. Thank you. I am humbled by your love for Jesus. 
and your love for the work of the gospel. It means everything to me. So thank you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come worship with us if the Holy Spirit is calling you. We're a very small group searching after Jesus Christ. You're welcome to come. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find our address and how to reach us. You can also give online. Thank you. I know this is not easy to understand because the lies have been so thick and so heavy, and Satan has deceived the church. The modern church is walking in utter deception regarding holiness and righteousness and sin. They have believed a lie. I pray you will awaken and become deeply concerned and search after Jesus. God bless you. I love you, my brother. I love you, my sister. I wish I could meet you in person. I will soon, I pray. I'll talk to you soon. Falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.